Welcome to Our Voices, a podcast developed by the Village of South Orange to honor Black History Month. This year, the national theme for Black History Month is the Black Family, Representation, Identity, and Diversity. This podcast will shine a light on some of the ways in which our black families are beautiful, complex, vibrant, and strong. Hopefully, the conversations that we hear now will teach us something new and help us begin to better understand some of the issues facing our neighbors, friends, and those we have yet to meet. Indeed, this is Our Voices a podcast celebrating the beauty and diversity of the black family. Now, let us begin the conversation. Welcome, Brandon Hayes. I'm here with a good friend of mine, Mark. Mark, how are you? I'm doing well. That's fantastic. Now, the topic that we're going to discuss today are African-Americans that practice Judaism. Now, Mark, you've been practicing uh, Judaism for quite some time, correct? That's correct. My whole life. I was born a Jew. Were your uh, parents Jewish or? Yes. uh, Actually, both my parents were Jewish. My mom, who is white, um, has always been Jewish and, and her parents immigrated here to the U.S., and my father converted after he met my mother. So I grew up with, with both parents being Jewish. How would you describe your relationship or commitment with Judaism throughout your life? I've always strongly identified as, as being a Jew. We grew up uh, what's called Reform uh, Judaism, which is kind of the, I guess, less rigorous practice, practicing of the religion. But I always felt very strongly culturally with the history of the Jews and uh, identifying as a Jew, and I got to temple regularly as a as a kid. What in the history of uh, Judaism really enriched, like really uh, like sucked you in, that really made it interesting? You know, it's interesting for a, a group of people that have been persecuted for as long as Jews have. There's really a, a big sense of pride in in Jews. Maybe it's the the way that we've overcome so many obstacles in our our. Uh, history or maybe in the U.S. I think Jews are uh, relatively pretty successful on the professional range and and, uh, education-wise, but I always took pride in in being Jewish and I, um, you know, admired the history. But, you know, I think there's something to being, and maybe we'll get into this, being Jewish and Black, is is being part of a minority, I think, you know, brings a, a, a certain element of pride and kind of having an identifiable group. Um, and I think Judaism um, has that for me as well. So do you think race plays a huge role when you identify and express your beliefs or no, it's just strictly religion? For me, it's strictly religion. You know, it's interesting. I definitely identify strongly as Jewish and as, as Black or biracial, like I say, because I don't like to leave out my, my mother, my white background. Um, but I kind of see them as separate. You know, it's kind of the the black part. I feel like is a little is separate from the Jewish part. Yeah, going just touching a little bit on like African Americans and just slavery a little bit. I I I it, it's just kind of like a comparison with the history of African Americans and and Jewish people 
when uh, you can even date it back to slavery and just the fact that they always kept their uh, their pride no matter what situation that you know they're in. Do you feel like your confidence is boosted because of the history of both races, African American and Jewish? Yeah, I think that's a, uh, another good point. I do think that there's some parallels and similarities to again this idea of, of being persecuted, but then overcoming it, identifying strongly as a group. Uh, I think helps um, the sense of loyalty and, and helping each other out. I think is is key and and central to probably both. And I do think both reside in me. Can you uh, describe the diversity? Do you still do you still go to temple now? Well, obviously, you know, with COVID restrictions, it's a little bit tough. But do you regularly go to temple? Yep. Yep, I do. I have two sons. Uh, one's already been bar mitzvahed and the other one will be bar mitzvahed next next year. So I belong to one here in South Orange uh, called TSTI. How is the diversity there? You know, I feel like that's yeah, it's all relative because uh, I do think in the Jewish community, it's 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 not generally diverse it's, you know, just based on the history. Um, it's mostly European Jews that are here in the United States. Uh, but I think this temple, uh, as opposed to any other temple I've been to, has has the most diversity. So just every just about every time I go, I do see other people of color there. Um, I think a lot of it uh, is because of our our town, South Orange and Maplewood, has a lot of interracial relationships. So I do think there's a lot of um, black and white couples that that bring um, that that people of color or kids of color into the the temple. Actually, my sister lives in Maplewood, so her family also belongs to this temple. Um, so it's it's nice to see increasing um, numbers because certainly when I, where I grew up, uh, we had an enormous temple with about 800 families, and we were the only family that was of color. So it was stark every time we walked into the temple. Um, you know that, that we were different. Where did you grow up? I grew up on Long Island. It's taken me a long time to say that as two words instead of just Long Island, one word, um, or get rid of the accent. Uh, but you know, where I grew up was probably a third of our our town was was Jewish, so there was a strong Jewish presence, but it wasn't a very large Black presence. I think out of my graduating class of, of 325, there were maybe five Black people. Um, so it was definitely more uh, Jewish oriented. Um, but, you know, interestingly enough, my father, who's, who's Black, became the Brotherhood president of our, of our temple. So that was an really? interesting uh, uh, title that he, that he got while we were there. That's extremely interesting. So I was going to ask, did you ever feel uncomfortable or like unwanted knowing that you're in this extreme minority, that you're kind of sticking out? Or did you, did you just live day by day? You know, it's interesting. Back then, I, I didn't really... Yeah, obviously I knew I was, I was black, but I really didn't think of it in that terms. It wasn't until I really got closer really to college that I started to really think about the idea of black relations and Jewish relations and, and maybe what people were thinking of me. I really just thought of myself as Jewish and I showed up to the temple. And while I certainly knew I was, we were the only black family there, I didn't really, I really didn't give it much, much thought. So when you moved to South Orange, was that kind of like a saving grace? Like, oh man, I feel so welcomed here. It's so diverse. <laughs> I feel like I'm a like I look to the left, I see you know this group. I look to the right, I see this group is just fantastic. Do you kind of feel like a sense of relief coming here? Oh, definitely. And then it was purposeful. I mean, my wife and I uh, chose uh, this community because we knew it was very diverse. 
Um, you know, it's, it's very hard to find diverse communities anywhere in the U.S., but especially here in New Jersey. And so I think, you know, this is a, a great town to live in because we actually have some real diversity. It doesn't mean we don't have issues in this town, but I, but I love the fact that there is diversity and we can actually talk about these issues. Yeah, I do, too. That's the one thing I really have to praise South Orange that I really love because it's really people of all different backgrounds. And it's quite interesting hearing people's uh, experience, religion experience and race experience. And if what I've noticed from talking to some people in the town, they all came from like a, either an all white town or an all black town. And they come here because of the diversity. Yep, exactly. You know, I when I got to college and I started to really identify, identify more of the black part of my, my uh, background, you know, I started to read more books about it. And, and you know, I always vowed that I would, wouldn't live in a town where my kids were the only, you know, brown face. And so uh, it was very important to me to live in a, a town like South Orange and Maplewood that has this kind of racial diversity. Did you ever identify or lean towards more one than the other, like an African-American or a Jewish? Like if you're in a certain area, would you kind of like bring out your roots of that? You know what I mean? Like, did you ever like lean towards one side? Uh, you know, I definitely you can sway a little bit. If I'm with more with my Jewish friends, then, you know, that, that's obviously more that comes out for me. And then if I'm with Black friends, you know, it's more, uh, I, I do think there's a difference in how you sort of, I'm with the, the two different friends I'm, I'm bridging. Uh, I don't have any other friends who are, who are Jews of color, so I, <laughs> uh, I don't have that demographic. Um, but, you know, there's it's funny, I identify strongly as both, but you're right, I do think my mind probably, but if I'm in Temple, I'm more, I'm, I'm a Jew. If I'm, you know, I'm trying to think of a situation, I'm all, if I'm around a bunch of black people, if I'm at a club or something, then, you know, I'm thinking more of that, my, yeah. that part of my background. Yeah, 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 I, I definitely understand. Yeah, because I was, I was curious, do you ever kind of, not really necessarily like switch personalities, but you would feel a little bit more comfortable if another side came out when you're around a, a group of people. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, there are times where, let's say if I'm around, I mean, my friends I feel very comfortable with and course, you know, there's yeah. not a racist bone in their body, but let's say I'm around a new group of Jewish people that I, don't, that I don't know. And let's say something comes up that could touch on race. I definitely get a little nervous of, you know, are they going to say anything? Are they going to say anything that's racist? You know, am I going to have to speak up? and say something. And similarly, if I'm around a bunch of Black people and religion comes up or Israel comes up, I think to myself, am I going to have to defend something or am I going to have to say something? Now, almost all the times, nothing ever comes up and it's just, you know, myself just sort of trying to prepare myself in case it comes up. But I definitely think about that because I think there are overarching issues between the Black and the Jewish communities. And so, I am cognizant that, um, you know, that there may be people who have thoughts that, you know, certainly I would disagree with. Yeah. Uh, did you have any, like, anyone that you, uh, any role models, anyone that, anyone Black and Jewish that you really looked up to as a kid, or was it just everyone in Temple? No, there wasn't any role models. I mean, the only person I ever heard of was, uh, was Sammy Davis Jr., and I didn't know his yeah. story at all, but people would say whenever it ever came up, they'd be like, oh, Sammy Davis Jr. is Jewish. I'd hear that all the time, but it didn't mean anything to me. I, I mean, obviously I knew who he was, but he wasn't sort of, you know, in the 80s, it wasn't kind of his, uh, 
most you know known period. So uh, it didn't really mean much to me back then. I mean, now certainly I, I instilled in my sons, we take pride, you know, the fact that Drake or Rashida Jones or all the, you know, different people, you, you see them now. It's a lot more uh, Jews of color, black Jews out there. Yeah, I was going to say, everyone always referred back to Sammy Davis Jr. And I think he died, what, late 80s, early 90s. So it's not like you could like, hey, you know, he's going to be on TV tonight, you know? <laughs> did that did that kind of bother you? Or like you, like, I, like, you, like you said before, it's just a religion. You're just focused on that. Yeah, I think I was just, I was more ignorant back then. I really just saw myself as a Jew. And, you know, I didn't really equate why, you know, why did it matter if I was black or, or not, or if I was fully white. I was, I was Jewish. And so that's what I did. Now, once again, once I went to college, I started to think about uh, relate, you know, black and Jewish relations more and started to you know, read books about it. Then I started to understand, you know, why there actually is more to it. Um, but when I was growing up, I really just saw myself as, as Jewish. And, you know, one thing I think was interesting, I have two sisters and I think, you know, one sister was much more into the Jewish part. And I had one sister who, while definitely very Jewish, you know, I'd also identified much more people of color. So, you know, three of us in the same house, and I think three of us all kind of identified differently within the, those two minority groups. I feel like that's that's kind of good because you can pick out some information from one another. You can you can learn and grow from with each other, right? Do you feel like that relationship is 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 kind of healthy that you guys all kind of have different mentalities? Yeah, I think it's good. I mean, look, it shows we're, we're all human and we all have our own uh, lives and, and, you know, we all learn from our experiences. I mean, I think, you know, my experience is not the same as, as both my sisters. I think one of my sisters probably experienced a little bit more, or at least she thought she, you know, certainly she experienced some racism within the Jewish community. And I think that drove her to, to, um, to, uh, to spend more time with the uh, Black community, um, you know, when she was younger. Uh, but, you know, again, all three of us identify strongly as Jewish and identify as, uh, as, as Black as well. My, my sister, who uh, doesn't live in these towns, lives in a town that has a, a, black, a significant Black population in White Plains in New York. So like we all, it's interesting that we all wound up in, in places that, that had uh, this kind of diversity. Have you ever dealt with any sort of racism? Certainly, racism you know, on the black side. Um, I mean, Which I think the black side. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's more. I mean, thankfully, nothing. I think I would consider too major. But all the sort of microaggressions of every time, you know, certainly when I was younger in a store of being followed and you know those kind of uh, stories. You know, that, that happened all the time when I lived in the city. Um, you know, just and even the ones that now you know you can kind of laugh at, like. I don't know how many times I've been in the store and someone's asked me to direct them someplace. Mm. And that never happens to any of my white friends, mm -hmm. you know, and just the assumption that people make that if you're someone of color and let's say you're in a town that's not, you know, that's it's more white, you know, you must be working there. Right. And so, yeah. um, you know, like if that's the worst that I'm going to experience, I, I think I, you know, I can handle that, that pretty well, but you know, I think certainly it opens your eyes and I try to teach my, my boys to always, uh, you know, be, proud in who they are, you know, you know, learn how to deal with those type situations, but never let that affect your own um, sense of worth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mark, I thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, is there anything that you would like to add or inform to people 
about uh, African-Americans that practice Judaism? Is there anything else? I think just the idea of just don't make assumptions and just try to learn about, you know, each each person's background. Um, certainly by looking at me, I don't know, you could probably tell what I was. I probably got Hispanic more than anything. But I think once you delve a little bit under the surface, you know, you can learn, uh, learn a lot. And there's, you know, especially in our towns, there's, there's more Jews of color uh, than I think, you know, you would have thought. I'm here with a good friend of mine, Maria. Maria, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks so much for inviting me to this podcast. I really appreciate it. You know, our topic today, we're discussing African-Americans that practice Judaism. And, you know, pretty much I would love your thoughts about everything. And, you know, I just want to hit the ground running. One question I have for you is, how do you describe your relationship, you know, your commitment with Judaism? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm... Um, like 100% committed to Judaism. I mean, because I mean, that's, I believe in the creator. Um, and, um, you know, I'm trying to walk in his ways, I'm trying to choose life, which is what I believe the choice he gave us when he gave us the covenant, he set before us life and death. And he says, choose life. And so every day, my prayer is that he would help me to choose life. And I choose life not just by making a simple choice at some time in the past, but I choose life on a daily basis by how I live. Every time I make a decision to walk according to the covenant, according to the Torah, the teachings, I'm choosing life. And so that is, you know, how I really my relationship and my commitment to Judaism is walking in Torah, walking in the ways that are, you know, laid out for us in the covenant that binds and creates the relationship we have with the Most High, El Shaddai. There's, you know, Judaism has, you know, a historically, you know, there's a historically black presence in Judaism that many of us are unaware of. I even mm -hmm. traveled to Ethiopia at that time. Um, back in 1998, I took a trip to Ethiopia. I understood at that time or learned at that time that the Ark of the Covenant is in Ethiopia. Uh, I began to even dress like very much like an Ethiopian at that time. In fact, when I first entered the synagogue in South Orange, uh, many of the people at Oheb Shalom will remember I walked in very much dressed like an Ethiopian Jewish person because I was wearing a turban. I walked with a staff in my hand. My children had turbans. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I do want to make this point that embracing Judaism does not mean that you have to embrace white culture. Yeah. See, a lot of Black people, when they hear about a Black person being Jewish, they immediately, oh, you've got to give up anything black and become like an Ashkenazi Jew. But there's a lot of black culture that's also, you know, Jewish. So there's Ashkenazi Jewish, there's black Jewish, right? Um, Ethiopian Jews are one aspect of black culture that's Jewish, and it's not the it's not limited there, right? So there are, there are Jews in various parts of Africa. And so Judaism is not an expression of, let us say, it doesn't, it doesn't confine itself to the sort of racial char characteristics or categories that you know, we have today in the world. So a lot of people kind of think, oh, wait, you must be becoming white if you're becoming Jewish. Not in any way, yeah. shape, or form. You know, in fact, like, I know our viewers are not going to be able to, our listeners are not going to be able to see the way I'm dressed, but you could see I'm very African, right? Like I'm wearing African yeah. clothing. My house has a lot of African artifacts and I have never given up my Africanness 
to be Jewish. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about your leadership role in the temple. What exactly did you, what was, what was your role? Oh, so when we joined the synagogue at Oheb Shalom, you know, we were um, welcomed, we were accepted. Um, we became, you know, very soon, you know, capable Dude. readers of Torah. Can I just cut you in off the synagogue? Can I just ask you a quick question. When you go inside a synagogue, do you automatically like try to see how many black people are there or are you just focused on religion? So let me tell you, when I walked into Oheb Shalom uh -huh. in the year 2000, yeah. there were no other black people there. Did that bother you? <laughs> um, you know what? It could have bothered me, right? It could yeah. have bothered me, but I was all prepared for that. I, I expected nothing less, right? Okay. Um, and I'm not going to say everybody accepted me, right? There were some people who did not accept me. Of course. Um, there were some people who were, you know, had a problem with our presence there, but there were, there were people there that were, were, were accepting, were open to this. Um, and, um, you know, we were able to, you know, become a part of the synagogue family. We were accepted as tour readers, you know, leaders of the services over time. And eventually I was, became a vice president in the congregation. I, I might've been a vice president for about five years or so. Um, I was a teacher at the Hebrew school. My children were teachers at the Hebrew school. Um, my son even went on to become um, a student at the Jewish Theological Seminary. Um, he even taught at the Jewish Theological Seminary and um, has actually served on the, um, as a youth leader, um, an assistant regional director for the whole New York area for the conservative uh, Judaism movement. Outside the synagogue, did you ever experience any difficulties with African-Americans? Like, you know, by you being Jewish, did you ever encounter anyone saying like, oh man, you're kind of a traitor or, oh man, why, you know, why did you, you know, do this or that? Did you ever experience any of that? No, I never... I, you know, I, I'm not going to say I openly experienced it. Um, like I live in Newark, um, not far from the same community in South Orange. You know, it's actually walking distance, but I live in Newark. I'm happy to live among, you know, people that look like me, et cetera. But I have no, never had any fear of expressing my Jewishness in the midst of my neighbors, right? I have, mm -hmm. you know, on my door, right, you know, the mezuzah like every other Jewish person, right? I've got, you know, you know, I, I wear my kippah around in the neighborhood or any other, you know, you know, I, there's nothing, I never felt intimidated or in any way, you know, like threatened to be fully Jewish in the black community. Now, of course that exists. There, there's gonna be some of that. I think my son who's, you know, traveled on the you know subways in Brooklyn a lot with his kippah and so forth. Has occasionally run into somebody who, you know, has expressed this sort of dismay or like, what what are you or you know? And then you know, my my son is very capable of educating and you know getting into a good dialogue, not a confrontational one, but you know, good dialogue to try to bring a, a person up to speed to understand, you know. In a, in a better way so they can shed themselves of that kind of um, bias. Uh -huh. Obviously, I, you know, I can't speak for your son, but when your son says, listen, you know, I'm on the subway and I'm just in disarray right now. You know, some people, they came up to me, they said, 
they said this and that and I don't know had your son ever came up to you and was like I don't know if I can do this anymore but he but is he just so passionate about teaching and just expressing his words yeah again we're we're on that foundation of truth right so it's like Torah is truth so there's no shaking that right like it's not like mm -hmm. because somebody else reacts weird to towards it that that's going to stop me from believing in Torah I mean I'm I think anybody who knows me actually knows how firmly I believe in Torah. And, and that was, to me, the most important part of educating my children was to also give them that foundation, right? That they know, they trust in Torah and they trust in the creator, right? Hashem. So they, they don't, I don't think that they could be shaken by how anyone reacts to them. Mm-hmm. Did um growing up when you're raising your children practicing uh, Judaism, did he ever feel like an outsider at any point? Yeah, that definitely happened. Um, you know, especially especially I would say with my daughter first. Um, you know, there was this sort of exotification, right? <laughs> um, where my son really experienced that a lot. Where oh, you know, he's black and Jewish, you know, so the other kids, oh, he's cool. He's cool and Jewish, you know? So kids, some kids really like gravitated to him among the youth, right? As he was growing up, he was like exotic. My daughter didn't have the same experience. So there was a time when, you know, in our own community, she experienced some racism and she just felt more comfortable among the Orthodox than she felt among the conservative. So like she went to a bat mitzvah group in West Orange to like socialize with girls her age who were also like reaching this age of bat mitzvah, she, she, felt, she felt more comfortable among them than she did among the conservative Jewish girls who were, you know, a lot of them very wealthy and we, we, we weren't coming from that sort of same economic strata that they were coming from. So it was, you know, it was, it was racism, it was some, you know, class disparity there, you know, and, um, you know, it hurt my daughter. So yeah, she felt that, right? Um, and I would say like my, my son probably felt it more as he matured and became more like a young man, you know, and I could, I, I know one experience he mentioned is that, you know, he was at summer camp, he was staff at summer camp, a Jewish summer camp. And, um, you know, in your face, people accept you, but you on your back, they might say, oh, I think he was in the bunk in the bed. And this white kid comes in and says, like, you know, is the N, use the N word, is the N here? Or where's the N mm. word or something like that, right? Mm. And, you know, that, that type of thing can happen, right? You're going to have um, racist experiences as long as you're living in the United States of America. You're going to experience it. <laughs> mm -hmm, yeah, that's, part, that's, that's part of the fabric of America. So I'm not going to blame it on Jews or on Judaism or on, you know, it's, it's not unique to if we were, you know, in any other part of society, we experience the same thing. That's America. Yeah. So you pretty much told them it's not really the religion. It's the people exactly. uh, per se. You know, if, you, if you're having a garden, every vegetable fruit is not going to be fresh. There's going to be some, you know, you just have to throw away and keep going. But I'm sorry to hear that about your daughter. It seemed like your daughter had a pretty, uh, rough experience with this throughout her life yeah it was i would say it was harder for her right um you know i you know i 
I can't explain why maybe I shouldn't even try to analyze why it just was right in those like high school years but she she made it through she had her friends you know she was in a tennis club and she got she has lifelong friends from that you know she went to college she got lifelong friends from college so I mean like in the end it wasn't really you know it didn't hinder her development didn't hurt her in any in any long run way but yeah it was a little bit a little bit more difficult for her at the synagogue itself she didn't have the same like I would say network of friends that my son benefited from from the youth movement in our own synagogue did she ever uh, went on to practice some sort of teachings later oh, yeah. on fact, even as an adult like all through college she taught um, at the Hebrew school um, she went to Brown University by the way um, mm. for undergrad um, and she taught uh, at Hebrew school there. Um, after she got her degree, actually, she was thinking about becoming an international lawyer and she ended up, you know, wanting international experience and working, she ended up working at a village in Rwanda that mm. was founded by a Jewish woman um, who basically founded a village called Adohozo Shalom, Youth Village. Mm. It was the, the village was patterned after youth villages in Israel and was there. They, they built this to help the Rwandan kids who were sort of mainly orphaned because of the genocide that happened. And uh, she went there. She taught there for a year and a half. Um, and she was, you know, sent there by a Jewish organization. So my daughter is very involved also Jewishly. She's, you know, she works for, you know, Jewish organizations or has worked for them. Um, and, you know, she's very involved and, you know, has taught, tutored kids for their bar and bat mitzvah. My, my son actually founded a bar and bat mitzvah tutor company called B'nai Mitzvah Campaign, which still, um, still is in existence and has, you know, you know, helped a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. What an experience that your, your daughter must have had from traveling and doing all that teaching. Does that kind of remind you of, you know, your journey a little bit? Oh yeah, you know. <laughs> do you and, I mean, you like to, do you kind of feel like you have to have that journey like listen, you got to go to different states, you got to go to different countries, you got to really like uh not necessarily make connections, but just teach and just learn and just gain from these different people in the villages they live in. Do you feel like that's necessary? I think so. I think that's definitely a big, important part of life's journey, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think one problem humans have is allowing themselves to be so, um, let's say, closed-minded by limited experiences. And the more- and not getting actually, out of their comfort zone. Right, right, exactly. So for example, if you if you never got outside of let's say the little city that you grew up in, mm. then obviously your reaction to somebody who's other or different is going to be you know like not the best reaction because you don't have that experience, right? And so the more you're exposed, and especially at a young age, to people who are not the same as you, who are yeah. different, maybe they have a different culture. Maybe they have a different language. Yeah. It helps you to be more understanding, more respectful, right? There's mm-hmm. no reason to disrespect someone because they speak a different language. Mm-hmm. But a lot of Americans, you know, this is almost like comes automatically because we think of ourselves as, you know, there's always this, this term saying that, you know, America is 
exceptional, America exceptionalism. You know, these are this sort of bravado terms that we use for America are not helpful in terms of having mutual respect for people of other languages, other cultures. And I think travel is, is really important for education. I sent, uh, my wife and I, we sent both of our children to study abroad when they were in high school. And they spent a semester um, in Suriname in South America. You know, so my, you know, my son is going to uh, Suriname and they have a Jewish community there. They hadn't had anybody reading Torah for years because they didn't have anybody with that skill set who could actually read from the Torah scroll on Shabbat. So my son, who was, you know, at the time, I think about, um, how old is he, maybe 15 or something, 16, whatever, you know, whatever age he was at that moment, you know, he goes there and our rabbi gave him a letter to carry so he could let the leadership at the synagogue know, look, here's someone who's trained, he can read this Torah for you, etc. So he brought this letter and they gathered, like not even, they don't even have like a minion every Shabbat because people are spread out in the country. They gathered all the people they could gather. Wow. And my son goes up and he starts reading the Torah and he says, he looks out and he sees elderly people crying because they hadn't heard the Torah read in so long. And people are crying. He's having this impact on people. It's yeah. amazing. I'm sorry. Keep going, please. Yeah. So, I mean, that was life changing for him because, you know, then he got to help them clean and prepare the scrolls for the high holidays. He got to help lead the high holiday services in Suriname, in this most ancient synagogue that was built in the 1600s, you know? Mm. And it was just like, it was so powerful, such a powerful moment for him. So basically, you know, when he came back, that's what gave him the, the sort of impetus to say, hey, I'm going to actually go to the Jewish Theological Seminary, where he ended up going. And, you know, when he graduated, the, the congregation Suriname didn't forget about him. And they reached back and they were like, can you please come and lead these high holiday services? So for the last few years, either he's been going or I've been going to help lead those services. Once we went together and we led services there in Suriname together for the high holidays. And it's just a beautiful thing. You know, the two things I gained from our conversation, the two words are uh, respect and travel. And respect, I mean it in a broad term. I want to use it as roots, and then it grows to different branches. Because as a respect, you got to respect the history. You know, you got to respect of everything that comes from before. You got to respect, obviously, respect the elders. You got to respect the religion. And from the travel aspect, the travel is just more of like a learning. And it really, like, builds you up. Is there something you want to inform people about Judaism, African-Americans practicing Judaism, Judaism itself, history. Is there anything that you want to just leave behind? Yeah, I think I could leave this final thought. You know, yeah. um, we're all as human beings on a journey, right? Mm. Life is a journey. And, yeah. um, you know, we're at different, we're different places. Depends on where you were born. Um, it depends on, you know, what family you were born into. But the key words that you got from our discussion about respect and travel should inform us all that we need a certain amount of humility as we are on our journey. Because mm -hmm. just because someone is at a different place in their journey doesn't make them 
superior or inferior. Mm-hmm. We have to have mutual respect and allow people to walk the walk that they're on. And the only thing we should do in regards to people on their journey is try to help them to make a step forward so that they can reach the destination that their journey is taking them. We shouldn't try to hurt people. We shouldn't try to trip people up. We should only try to help people to move forward in their journey. Just like I want people to help me as I'm trying to move forward in the journey that ever since I was 16 years old, really this is a journey to follow the truth as revealed to Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. We're going to leave it right there. Thank you so much for really taking the time out to talk to us about that. Really informative, educational, appreciated so much. Sure thing. Thank you, Brandon. Welcome, Brandon Hayes. I'm here with a good friend of mine, Yehuda. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Nice to I'm be good. here. I, I spoke to your father. Moria, I spoke to him uh, a little bit ago, and uh, we had a great conversation. And right off the bat, where he told me this story about you that I just thought was so fascinating. He told me, I don't want to get anything incorrect, so stop me if I'm wrong, that when you were in high school, 15, 16 years old, you went out, you traveled. I forgot where you traveled. And uh, where did you go again? Where did you go? I did a semester in Suriname. You know, it's the country right next to Guyana, where I was born and grew up for, you know, the first few years of my life. And uh, my uncle has a private school in Suriname. And so I did a semester there. And you were like, what, like 15? Yep, 15, 15, 16. 15 years old. And when you got there, you were reading, you were reading uh, the Bible. And then everybody in the in the audience, not a dry eye, everybody was just weeping because of how prolific and how uh you know your words just hold so much weight at that time how did you fit how how was that whole experience because when i was 15 if i leave the state i would have anxiety let alone you know go to a whole nother country and then you being this whole influencer talking to people can you just like just tell me that whole experience yeah you know it was uh humbling and inspiring, you know, all at once. I, growing up, once we had moved from Guyana and we had settled in Jersey and we were part of the Jewish community around our area, you know, it was predominantly white, you know, and I faced a lot of racism coming up in Jewish youth groups and, you know, even racism in our, in our home synagogue. And uh, even though at that time, you know, I, you know, growing up, I always wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to be, he was a pastor in a previous life. And, you know, I wanted to be a rabbi. Mm -hmm. By that time, 15, 16, when I went to Suriname, you know, I already was kind of letting go of that vision because I felt like, how could I be a rabbi for people who don't even recognize my legitimacy as a Jew? So I, so I was feeling pretty down about that, to be honest. I'm feeling pretty down about a lot of things in life. It's one of the reasons why, you know, I ended up even going to Suriname to mix up the, the scenery and, you know, um, get back on a, a good path. And so when I was there, I 
heard knew about this community that of, of this Jewish community in Suriname that was still holding on, you know, even though it had gotten really small over the years. And I have the skill set to chant Torah, you know, to chant Torah, um, you know, with the uh, traditional trope and uh, to read it, be able to read it from the Torah scroll without vowels. And so, you know, that was something that here, here in the States, in Jersey, that's a regular thing. You know, many people know how to do that. You know, I was, you know, I felt like it wasn't necessarily something so special, right? But down there, there, because the community has dwindled so much, you know, not a lot of people still, or not anybody really still has that um, practice and that skill set. And so I just went to the synagogue president, I introduced myself, you know, one day after school. And I, you know, I said, you know, hey, I can read Torah, I can chant Torah. If you all ever need somebody to chant for you, you know, I'd be happy to do so. And she kept it cool. And she was like, yeah, you know, uh, why don't you prepare for this Shabbat and, uh, you know, do the, do the Torah reading for us. And I said, okay, yeah, no problem, you know. And so when I got there on Shabbat, you know, the place was as full as it gets, you know, 20, 30 people. And, um, you know, after I finished chanting Torah and I looked up and there were people who were, you know, crying, you know, somebody whispered to me that, you know, that community hadn't heard somebody chant Torah in years because uh, the skill set had been lost. And so that was really inspiring to me especially because in Suriname, when I walked into that synagogue, it was the first time like I felt like the community reflected what I looked like and it wasn't just my family. You know, there were people who were in there that was darker than I. Mm -hmm. And uh, that moment was, you know, humbling and inspiring because it reminded me that there are communities in this world within the Jewish stratosphere that I can serve, that I can uh, bring my love of Torah, love of Hashem to. And so uh, it was just a powerful moment of reigniting a flame that was almost snuffed out by the racism, you know, in this country. Yeah, and I wanna talk about some of the racism, uh, racism that you experienced but just going back to this trip, you know, like I I got to I got to extend this. I got to exercise this so much. You're 15, you know, when other kids are 15, they're inspired by the new video game that came out. The storyline was greater, inspired by, you know, oh, my God, LeBron James has hit this game with a three. But your inspiration was really religion, even at 15. It's it, it's always been religion. It's always been Judaism. Well, you know, I, that I give credit to. First of all, most high, and, and then to my parents, you know, my, my dad and my mom, you know, my Abba and my Ima, as we would say. And, um, you know, they raised my sister and I uh, in a home that was uh, full of spirituality, you know, set everything came back, every decision, great and small, came back to Torah. I was homeschooled as well, right? Mm -hmm. So, they had full control over our education and they did a great job with it. And, you know, one of the things that they did that they instituted was that um, my sister and I had to write what we would call a Devar Torah, um, basically a sermon on the, the weekly portion that, you know, we read, you know, we read the Torah in, in, in portions of 54. 
Um, and so each week there's another portion. So we, uh, every week we had to write our own sermon and give it at, you know, Shabbat dinner, Friday night, um, and share it with the family. We would debate and argue and, mm -hmm. you know, so they really created uh, a safe sandbox for us to fall in love with Torah, to fall in love with spirituality, to, you know, we were, there was openness to question and to challenge and to, you know, push back to, you know, against, you know, my father's and my mother's teachings. And so that, that allowed us to really grow into it. And so by the time that I went to Suriname, you know, Judaism, Jewishness, my relationship with Hashem was a deep, uh, a foundational inspiration for, for a lot of arenas in my life. Like, why sure. did you go to South Orange instead of finding somewhere in North? That just happened to be, you know, when we first moved back, it just circumstantial, honestly. When we first moved back to uh, the States and we were living in, we were living in Orange, not North, right? We we're living where my, uh, with my grandparents. Okay. And so we just walked to one of the closest synagogues. <laughs> whatever and was the closest one. We like did a couple, we did, you know, my dad did some research and, you know, on Scotland Road, there was a reform uh, synagogue and then there was a conservative synagogue, capital C. And, you know, um, you know, conservative is a little bit more observant than reform. And so that's kind of where we wanted to, to, to try out. And so we went to Oheb Shalom and that was, that was it, you know, that was our, that became our synagogue, right? So once, you know, even when we lived all the way up in Lake Hopatcong, you know, we would make the trip down to South Orange, you know, just to go to services, right? So no matter where we were, you know, that kind of remained our home synagogue, um, through, you know, throughout my sister and I's, our time in uh, high school and most of college, yeah. Talk to me about the, uh, when you walk into the synagogue for the first time, did you think like, man, I hope this place is diverse or man, I hope nobody judging because I'm black or man, I hope there's a good amount of black people. Were you thinking, did race play a factor or was it strictly religion? Race definitely played a factor. You know, I was young. I was eight, you know, when we first walked in. So, and I had. You still remember it clearly to this day? I still remember it clearly to this day. You know, you, there's some things you just won't forget. <laughs> so paint you the know, picture for us. You know, we we walked in with, you know, we while we were in Guyana, you know, we were really on a path and continue to be on a path of returning to our roots, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, oftentimes when I t tell people, you know, people ask me if I converted to Judaism, I told them, nah. I returned to Judaism. Mm -hmm. You know, this is our heritage, right? We know that we are um, Jewish going back generations, you know, biblically, right? So, and that was lost through the transatlantic slave trade. So a part of that journey back was trying to get back to culture. So we walked, you know, so we, you know, in Guyana, we were wearing a lot of African styled clothing and so we walked up into Oaf shalom dressed like that right so it was a scene you know there were no other <laughs> there were no other black people i don't even know i think there are other people of color in sight you know and um 
it was just a sea of white people. And, you know, it was just, it, my mom that day, she wasn't feeling well, so she had stayed home. So it was just my dad, my sister and I, we walked in there and, you know, we could tell, you know, the, you could hear the whispers and the flurry of, you know, the commotion that we were, that we were causing, you know, it was, it was palpable, you know? And, um, you know, different people came over and were curious and were saying, you know, welcome or, you know, asking questions. And, you know, my dad was fielding all of those, you know, and at a certain point, you know, they, you know, and people were kind, you know, there, you know, people, um, I remember, you know, there was, you know, there's like a tradition or a custom or a culture within certain communities of like the older folks, like giving kids candies and, you know, trying to make them feel, you know, comfortable. And so there was somebody giving us, my sister and I candies and telling us, oh, you could go play with the other kids. So, you know, I remember, um, I remember that. And there was also a lot of culture shock. You know, we had never experienced a service quite like that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, that kicked off a journey of, you know, you know, years of navigating Jewish spaces that are predominantly still white and Jewish and, you know, ultimately led me to, um, post-college, you know, really try to seek out, uh, Jewish, Jewish people of color spaces to really seek out other, Jewish people of color and even build those spaces for us to to build community. Did your father ever mentally prepare you, like told you anything about race and religion? Or did you have to find out on your own? I think it was a healthy mixture of both. You know, I think you can't be prepared. You can't you can't get prepared for everything, right? Mm -hmm. Um there are all sorts of scenarios that, you know, none of us could have dreamed up you know, because it's racism and it, yeah. they don't, it don't make no sense. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and at the same time, like I was saying, you know, we came from a very politically conscious family. Um, and so, you know, my father definitely imbued my sister and I the confidence that, you know, we have a relationship with Hashem. We have a strong foundation of knowledge in Torah and we shouldn't be scared to um, assert our opinions and to, and we shouldn't back down in, in situations where we're challenged around our legitimacy as who we are. And so I've held that and carried that with me, you know, throughout my life in a variety of different contexts. Does it still affect you to this day or no? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, it's, uh, people are challenging who you are, right? So of course it's gonna, it's always gonna affect you, you know? And uh, it's something that, um, you know, you try, you know, in different situations, you try to let it roll off your back and, you know, you have to, or else you'll just be mad all the time. And so college was, uh, was the playground to really learn how to deal with it and how to navigate it, you know? And I feel much more comfortable in my skin and able to show up in all variety of spaces, you know, unconditionally black and Jewish, you know, unconditionally uh, politically black and spiritually Jewish, right? But uh, that has taken a lot of painful experiences to get to a place of, of um, sureness in myself, right? Um, instead of, you know, questioning and 
turning over constantly who I am and how I fit into the story, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely understand. Listen, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to me. I really appreciate it. You know, it's, it's, it's truly uh, remarkable how much you and your father, you know, you speak so highly of the religion, yet there's so much screwing you. There's so much uh, criticism that you guys get, and it's just, you just keep it pushing, like we said. Before, before, well, wait, were you guys say something? If I, you know, what I'll say is, you know, I think the reason that we, we keep it pushing, you know, my father and my, and my family is, you know, it's less about, it, it hasn't, it's less about the religion, you know. I could care less about Judaism, quote yeah. unquote, right? It's about our relationship with Hashem. It's about our relationship with Torah. It's what we, it's about what we believe is um, the way of life that um, is prescribed to us by a higher calling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to choose life. We want to, we want to live, you know, and we want to live uh, the best of, of lives and to experience all that Hashem has provided for us in this world, right? And so for me, the, the motivation is, is really to make the most of it and to humble myself to know that even though in my mind, this or that way might, you know, seem like it's a better way to live, Hashem knows and mm. has already given us a clear path of how to live, of how to, you know, really feel fulfilled. Um, that 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 that's what it's that's what it's about for us, right? And so Judaism is just the container that best holds that that um, pursuit, I would say, mm. to be in right relationship with Hashem. But it's not about the religion, right? And so. That's why, you know, no one's ever going to unroot us from our connection. Rudy, listen, I thank you so much. Welcome, Brandon Hayes. I'm here with a good friend of mine, Shoshani. Shoshani, how are you doing? Shoshana with an A at the end. You know, I, knew yes. I, said it wrong. I knew I said it wrong. Um, <laughs> there's so many things I want to ask you because I was looking at uh, your bio and you are really active in uh, the Jewish community. But just to broaden everything up, can you just describe your relationship and commitment with uh, Judaism? Sure, yeah. Um, I uh, was born Jewish and my family uh, raised me up Orthodox Jewish. Um, and so I went to yeshiva uh, for elementary school and um, have been practicing Judaism my entire life. Um, one interesting note that I'll share is that in my adulthood, I kind of took some twists and turns um, because the racism within the Jewish community uh, at large kind of pushed me away at some point and uh I'm grateful to have found my way back into community with um, other Jews of color and um, other white Jews who are allies um, and finding safe space for me to practice my Judaism and find my full self-expression. I don't want you to go into immense detail, but what do you mean by some of the racism that you've dealt with within the Jewish community in your adulthood? 
Yeah. Well, just like any community, right, um, the Jewish community is not exempt from uh, being a part of the American project, right? The United, the project of the United States, which we know is built on uh, racialized capitalism. Uh, and Jews are not separate or apart from participating in uh, the participating in capitalism and white supremacy uh, and patriarchy as is constructed as we all participate in it to be able to navigate and live in this uh, society. Uh, and so as a result, um, you know, there have been many moments because of that, uh, those constructs, the way they play out in the Jewish community is that then uh, we have a belief in the United States uh, because of the overrepresentation of Ashkenazi Jews that all Jews are look white, right? Like there's a certain look to be Jewish. You have to look a certain way um, as if Judaism is a particular ethnicity uh, where we know that there are multiple ethnicities that practice Judaism primarily, and then lots of ethnic, lots of folks from different ethnic backgrounds that um, practice Judaism in a minority sense, right? So as a result of that, like I would say overrepresentation and misrepresentation in the larger United States American conscious, of what is a Jew looks a certain way. When I show up in a room, I don't fit that mold. And so I begin to get questioned and things like that. So, and I think that that's, that's not a unique experience to me, but it is something that I have experienced and that's something that has, uh, you know, shaped my uh, identity to Judaism. So when you experienced this racism, were you just shocked or were you just like, oh, my God, we're here to, to, to practice or were you not surprised at all? Um, you know, as an anti-racist facilitator and someone that has studied uh, white supremacy and racism in academia, as well as in the street, um, in terms of my activism, I'm always surprised that it still surprises me every time. Like, mm -hmm. I'm always sitting back, like, I knew this was going to happen, and I'm still mad about it, <laughs> you know? Like, and I think that that's real, right? Like, that's what we experience as Black people in the streets every day. Like, we know the, the murders done by police violence is not new or novel, but every time it happens, we going to get mad. Right. Yeah. Like that is a that is an innate to me, that is a natural reaction to injustice. And I don't think that you can separate race from anything. Right. Like I don't believe in color blindness. So when I step into a space, it doesn't matter what the baseline or what the reason for being in that space is. I step into a space looking the way I look that and in America, in the United States that has implications around race and racism. And I would argue anywhere around the world at this point. Can you just dive in a little bit deeper for me and the audience, just, just tell us a little bit more about your activism, just like your background as a bit? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, mm. So I was 
uh, trained as a social worker and a community organizer. And I was politicized uh, around prison abolition and really seeing prisons as the forefront of the uh, racial justice movement. Uh, Prisons are the last place that slavery is still legal uh, constitutionally. So I really got politicized around that and did a lot of work there. And my work there transformed itself into working around, uh, you know, ending police violence, uh, from moving from prisons to uh, more acute and and looking at uh, police reform and defunding the police. And I've worked my the way that that inter the way that that comes into contact with my Judaism is that the work that I've done around police reform has largely been in coalition and in community with uh, Jews, so Jews of color, white Jews, all working towards um, police reform and abolition, honestly. So that that's the basis of my work. And now I also, uh, because I am a teacher, uh, a educator, um, and I am a social worker in public schools, I'm also part of uh, an activist in the public school um, teachers union, uh, the movement of rank and file organizers, uh, um, movement of rank and file educators. So I, I I wear a bunch of different hats when it comes to my organizing, both with, within the teachers union, which I still believe is ultimately connected to prison abolition work because of the school to prison pipeline. And then with my um, work around abolition and police reform, leading me to co-found the Black Jewish Liberation Collective, mm. uh, which is a space, a national a national collective of Black Jews that are activists and organizers and are working to both um, build culture and develop a national analysis around social justice issues. You know, religion is such a touchy topic in school. You know, no schools want to touch it with a six foot pole. That's just for certain schools, not public schools, whatever. But do you just want to inform people that there can be different races in Judaism, that everybody is just so blind, like, okay, if you're Jewish, you're white, that's it. That's what, you know, most people, oh, I don't want to speak for most people, but that's what most people really assume. Don't you just want to lend your hand and be like, listen, if you really dissect it, it's all branches. <laughs> it really come from all over the world, you know, certain areas, blah, blah, blah. Don't you just want to just like yell and scream and, and just kind of like just teach that, not preach it, but teach it. Oh, definitely. I was. I like to start with a conversation of what people think uh, uh, the people or characters in the Bible actually look like, right? If we start there and talk about Abrahamic religions um, and looking at uh, how we envision, right? When we read a story, any story, when we read a story, our mind creates a picture, right? Mm. 
Um, and so I, I want, I like to start us off with what is the picture that your mind has created about what Moses looks like? What is the picture that your mind has created of what Sarah looks like, of what Abraham looks like, of Rebecca looks like, right? If you look at, if you take the eight, start with the Abrahamic religions or start with, um, the Torah, uh, the Old Testament, uh, you'll, I like to start there and say, well, the foundation for me is not white. People from the Fertile Crescent and that part of the world are not blonde hair and blue eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is not that is not the the overwhelming features of the type of people that live in that area. So I like to start there and then, you know, encourage folks to remember that. Um, then then I like to go with. Well, when we came, if we, if we came out of Egypt, right? Um, when folks escaped slavery, it makes sense that not everybody went the same way, mm. right? We have a story of one particular group, and we have a story and a lineage of one particular group of people that followed a particular path up to the land of Israel, but. If if I put myself in that story and we're escaping slavery, we're all going the same way. We taking our packs and we running for the hills. And mm-hmm. I might go this way, you might go that way on the on the road. We might decide to split up because if we split up, we have more of a chance of survival, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there are tons of communities. Um, there are tons of communities across the continent of Africa that practice Judaism, communities in Ghana, communities in Nigeria. Um, there's also a strong community in Uganda. Uh, there's the, uh, most folks are always going to point when we talk about uh, Black Jews and Jewish diversity, people always want to point to Beta Israel and Ethiopian Jews. Um, that's it. That's a, a much more mainstream conversation, but there's also Jews in India and in China. There are Jews all over the world and Jews that come from all sorts of backgrounds. And so, you know, for me, that's the exciting part is learning the untold history, you know, learning the history of the people. You are the co-founder. I think you said it before, the co-founder of the Black Jewish uh, Liberation Collective, right? Did I get that right? Can you just, just express that a little bit? Because I'm so intrigued with that. Yeah, um, it is. This has been the one of the joys of my organizing work. Uh, about five years ago, myself and a few other Black Jews started having conversations. Um, a lot of this started during the uh creation of the movement for black lives and the release of their first policy platform mm-hmm. and part of in the release of their first policy platform there was a large conversation amongst the jewish community white jewish community the white jewish foundation community that um they weren't, there was a shift because in the policy platform, there was language around supporting Palestine. And uh, 
you know, Palestine and Israel are very divisive conversations in the Jewish community. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very divisive uh, and very challenging conversations for lots of reasons. And everybody has a stake in the narrative, right? Like there's something there for all Jews um, in terms of what do you think about this and why? Uh, and I'll go so far as to even say that a lot of Jews have their um, identity wrapped up in uh, fighting for the liberation of Palestine, Palestinians, right? Um, and that as part of the way that they connect to their Judaism, which um, is important to name. And in that moment, a lot of white Jews began to consider, is this something that we can still get down with? Can we still support Black Lives Matter organizing um, if it is anti-Zionist? How do those things work together or not, right? And there was lots of conversations between white Jewish folks and Black folks, mostly, I would say, Christian. Um, but no one asked Black Jews what we think. There was very little opportunity for Black Jews who sit at the intersection of both of those communities to have a say in how this affects us and what we think. Uh, so and I started having some conversations with some of my comrades who we have been doing work and putting our bodies on the line for Black Lives Matter, um, pushing uh, issues in our local communities across the nation. And I started having conversations and saying, we need to organize ourselves. We need to create space for our voice to be amplified. We need to create space for us to have a national analysis and uh, coordinate our strategy on a national level. And from that, go ahead. I'm sorry, no, please keep going. Now from that, folks started jumping in and started um, having conversations and talking about what that could look like. And here we are five years later, like going strong, right? We started as Black Youth Matter, and now we are, are known as the Black Jewish Liberation Collective, which really, tell, all in the name, tells you exactly who we are and what we're about. Yeah, I was going to ask when exactly did you guys start to answer my question right there. We're running low on time, so I just want to get to a couple more things. When you started this, you know, co-founder, did you really, uh, was the inspiration more of what was going on in the media and how there's like a lack of voice or was it just more of a personal thing? Like, listen, I went through this and not necessarily, I don't want anyone else to go through this because you can't control anyone's destiny, but you can, you have that safe space. Like I had, you have that understanding. Brandon, that is a great question. <laughs> um, I, I think it's a little bit of both. A little bit of both. You know? Yeah, like what was happening, what was playing out on a national level wasn't distinct from what my own personal experience was of the conversation. Um, and, you know, I did the only thing that I know how to do, which is organize. Um, when I want to solve a problem, I get my people together and I organize and I say, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? All right, let's put it all together and make a plan. <laughs> um, and, and that's where that, that's really where that came from. And I bet you can use your uh, your skills as a social worker to really 
uh, drive through to really impact this, uh, this this group, this movement, right? You ever just think about like, okay, let me, I have my skills as a social worker in my back pocket. Let me use this uh, to, you know, to talk to people, to really express my voice. Yeah, well, uh, one of the, one of the core uh, skills or methodologies of social work is community organizing. So it goes hand in hand. That's what I was trained in. Do you really enjoy doing this work? Is this fun or sometimes is it exhausting because it's so much on your plate? Like sometimes you're just like, you know, let me just go spend a week in the Bahamas and just escape everything. Or is this actually like fun? (laughs) Yeah, everybody asks me how I do it. And I'll say that it is exhausting and it is fun and it is my lifeline. And I work hard so I can play hard. I love going home. I have a home in Senegal um, and I have my people there and I go home and I chill out and I relax when I need to come back here and hit the ground running. So um, it's all of the above. And quite frankly, I wouldn't know what to do if I wasn't doing this work. This is my life work, and most of it I don't get paid for. The the vast majority of it I don't get paid for. Um, so I do it because I believe in liberation. Well, listen, we appreciate you for your wisdom and your knowledge. I, I, I surely do. Thank you so much for talking to me. I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, and I just want to invite folks to plug in for our work on Facebook and Instagram at Black Jewish Liberation.